just the other day before I rolled out of bed one morning. Without you, there would be no sunshine, there would be no rain in the season. Without you, I know that I couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't even breathe. I need you more than I need air, more than I need rain, more than I need sunshine on a summer day. I need you more than I need a home, more than I need food, more than I need these clothes I'm wearing. Greetings. Thank you for joining us on Christian Reconstruction Radio for this time we shall have together. I'm your host, J.S. Lowther, and this is Sola Scriptura. Promoting the law and the gospel to every living creature with an ardent and firm desire to show the perfection of the law of God in every area of life. All to the glory of God and praised his only begotten Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Again, CR 101 Radio Networks, a Christian Reconstruction uh, Internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24-7. Go to cr101radio.com for that. Also, take a look at GCS Apprenticeship Program that's dedicated to training the next generation of Christian teachers so they can be inspired and equipped to get involved with the task and honor of being a Christian teacher, owning and operating their own Christian school. Take a look at gcsapprenticeship.com. Well, I have to say, in starting here, we have um, had a very exciting last two weeks in the United States of America as this uh, part of the, the continent of North America is called by at this time. Who knows what it's going to be called by here in the future. But um, right now we're still the U.S., I think. And um, things have just seemed to escalate for, uh, <laughs> you know, the population, the, the society that lives here. And that's what's on everybody's mind, you know. And um, it's really hard to do a podcast like this uh looking at things from an apologetic standpoint when you know everybody's mind is racing, trying to process and understand what exactly is going on in the world when things happen so quickly um, like they are. And, you know, quite honestly, it's hard to keep up with that uh, pace. The pace that the world is moving at right now is moving so quickly that our ancestors in times past um, – would have never imagined news to move from one place uh, to the other uh, so quickly and that that would um, affect us as rapidly as it does as far as our emotional response to it. You know, our biggest problem in the society that we live in today, uh, sadly, as United uh, Americans from coast to coast, and I say sadly because, you know, at one time, there were different cultures and different um, ways of thought, different ways of life in different places. And it seems like no matter where you go, from California to New York City, you know, from uh, Minnesota to Texas, you are going to find some very similar things uh, happening everywhere you go. But it used to be that um, we would have differences of opinion which would cause people to pause and differences of of thought, ways of life that would cause people to pause a little more. But now uh, there is seemingly an, an emotional response. There's seemingly a, um, a very quick reaction to everything that happens. Uh, no one 
proverbially, when I say no one, I, I mean there are some, but uh, no one in the grand scheme of what we see um, seems to want to think critically and take it all in, consider it, think it through, and uh, then respond to it. And this is really, in fact, a lack of truth and a desire for truth on our part as a people. Um, we all have that problem. Uh, everyone in the flesh has that problem. And it is the, the Bible, it is the law of God that allows us to define truth, to understand truth, to know truth. There's a very pertinent passage in the scriptures, I think, that would help us during this time, during this day and age that we live in as we try to process the news, as we try to process what's going on. A little bit we're going to deal with here, but I really want to just deal with a uh, ideology. It really, you know, every ideology for a Christian should be a theology. And so I'm really talking about theology, but I'm, I'm phrasing it like an ideology or a philosophy. Um, that a Christian has to have to process anything in the world, not just what's happening now, not just uh, Seattle being taken over by Marxist communist thugs uh, that are weirder than than uh, I can describe. But, um, you know, the epitome of Leviticus chapter 18 moves into six blocks of Seattle and takes over. And we're like, well, what's the Christian response going to be? Well, it's the same Christian response. It doesn't change. That's the great thing about having eternal truth and righteousness uh, delivered from the mouth of Almighty God and in a written form to check death against a society that is corrupt against a, a flesh that that is dead and dying and um, wicked, uh, you know, above all things. And so we have the word of God that we have resource to, to go back and question. And there's a scripture that really deals with this subject that has been coming to my mind as I watch the responses and the, the, uh, the so-called Christian community collapsing under the pressure uh, rather than asking what God thinks about this, they are just collapsing. And it, it's a fundamental rejection of what's taught in John 16, 13, and 14. Jesus said to his, his disciples, which we can put ourselves in the place of and take some, some knowledge from this and understanding from, when he said in John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you, into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, referring to Jesus, so he will glorify Christ, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. This verse is such an important verse for Christians to just read and consider what it's telling us. Just in calling the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, so much is conveyed in that one thought. You know, I think oftentimes we talk about this zeitgeist or spirit of the times, you know, the ghost of the times in, in German. And uh, people talk about the spirit and a spirit that moves throughout the camp or something. You know, we just use it kind of, you know, loosely. But Jesus is speaking of a true spirit. It's a he. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the third part of the Trinity as we, we understand it as Reformed Christians. And the spirit of truth 
is exactly what Jesus calls him. It's a spirit that brings truth. It's, it's the spirit of truth. And one of the things that seems to be just so hard right now to comprehend is how Christians do not seem to desire truth. They are happy living in ignorance. They are happy bowing down at the um, whim of whoever tells them to bow. They are happy at playing into the emotionalism of the day. And the actual definition of truth is only Gnostic. It's only known uh, by the way you feel or by what others tell you it feels like. Truth is truth, not because it's truth, but because it makes you feel good. That's a dangerous place to be in. In such a way, things that we know are dangerous and deadly because they may taste sweet or they may taste good would then become good. It would be, it would, you know, we'd say that's a truly a good thing, though it kills you. Many and many alcoholics who drink themselves to death would say of a truth that they enjoyed the spirit they imbibed. Many drug users would say of a truth that it was a good feeling that they had experienced while they were hopped up on dope. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that truth from one person to the next, if it is not objective but subjective to the opinions of others, is not truth at all. It's, it's, it's only good because you say it's good, because you think it's good, because at the moment you feel good. You know, when you're a working man and you go to sleep at night after you've been tired all day and you worked hard, sleep is good. If you're a paralyzed man that can't get out of bed, laying in bed is not good. Okay, so that's that's a subjective opinion of sleep. It's a subjective opinion of the comfort of a bed. And so the scripture teaches us about a spirit of truth that will come to a believer that will guide us in all truth. He will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. The spirit is number one you know, the third part of the Trinity, so it's a he. We have personage here, and we have this personage that is guaranteed for the believer, for the disciple, to have interaction with. There's a guarantee that an interaction will take place between the spirit of truth and the believer. And it's a guiding force. It will guide you into all truth. It's a spirit of truth. And so the question I want to ask is, how afraid as Reconstructionists, as Bible-believing Christians, as those who seek a theocratic rule in society, a theonomic rule in law, how much do we really, truly want to see the law of God in society? I mean, this is a question I ask in almost every, every episode so far that we've had on Sola Scriptura with Reconstruction Radio and I think it's such an important thing to ask because right now what we're seeing is just a huge digression and move away from truth. Just simple truth. This is important. This is one of the most important things that we could think about right now. And while we want to put the emphasis on other aspects of our faith, truth is a huge part of our faith. For a Christian, truth has to be one of the pinnacles 
of understanding anything. It's the pinnacle of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it is true. So even the fear of the Lord is based upon truth. You, you need to fear the Lord. We, we must fear the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, then there is no wisdom to be found. So the things that we find in Scripture have to be taken as true. We can't move on any of them. And the things that are happening in society, both in fact and in reality, in thought as well as in philosophy, they all have to be based in, in a form of truth that you believe in and that you hold, that you have been guided into by the Spirit of God. If you have not been guided into truth by the Spirit of God that comes you know, by the mouth of God, essentially by his word, by the word of God, then it's highly likely that it's not truth that you're seeking, but the glorification of one's own self. And we see that the glorification of Christ in John 16, 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The truth being taught to us ultimately has to be Christ glorified. The glorification of Christ has to be at the top of the list that we are seeking um, in any way as Christians, that we are seeking for in any way. You know, and the truth of the Spirit that guides us into all truth. There's two truths being spoken of there that are united. They are the same truth. You have the spirit of truth, and that guides us into all truth. So it can be said that without a spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, which is a he, uh, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, you cannot be guided into all truth. And that spirit will glorify Christ. That is its end. That is its goal. That is what it does. It, it has received it of Christ's, and it shows those who are Christ's, Christ's glorification and the truth by the revelation of Christ. And so truth is pretty important stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's not up to us to decide what is true and what is not true. It's not up to us to decide that uh, we are going to believe something or we're not going to believe something if it is true. If it's presented as true, it is what it is, and it stays where it is as truth. And so this is a pretty basic concept, I think. But I don't think that many Christians are, are showing that right now in what we are seeing in this country in, in this time. And so I find it highly important for us to ask the question, what is truth? Where does it come from? What is it? And there are multiple scriptures that are going to tell us, you know, that, that thy word is truth, that God's word is truth. And when we're going to understand that and know that, that's going to be part of the spirit of truth because the spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. And we understand from scripture that all scripture is breathed out by the, the Holy Spirit, is breathed out by God. It's, it's spirit derived. Um, and so there is a unity there. If the Holy Spirit breathes it and the Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth, then because of that, the Bible is the truth of God. It is truth. 
and it's part of all truth, and it will glorify Christ, and we will receive it if we are his. And so there is, there's definitely that, and we have to always go back to the Bible. That's the whole focus of Sola Scriptura, to go back to Scripture alone for our answers and go to the law of God alone so that we can understand righteousness and wickedness, good and evil, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, this is just one of those messages that I'm sending out there that part of me doesn't feel like I should have to do speaking to Christians. And I don't know how many people will even enjoy it. Maybe by now you've already, you know, decided, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to this. This is just too basic. And maybe that's the case for you. But I'm hoping that there's somebody out there who's just never stopped and thought about how important truth is. How, it, how important it is to be guided by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth into all truth. And how as much of a truism as that is, it, it cannot be uh, subjective to our interpretation. It goes back to the Scripture. It goes back to the spiritual source of, of um, what we understand as truth. It goes back to the spiritual source of truth. Is understood, sure, by the objective revelation in nature, the objective revelation in reality. It's understood by that, and that's exactly what we're interfacing with. But there comes a time where, for whatever reason, the human consciousness does not process things properly due to our corruption, due to our state, our fallen state, our deadness and sin. And because of that, we need a guide that will guide us back to all truth. To ultimately glorify Christ. And so if it doesn't, if the truth doesn't glorify Christ, it's not true in the grand scheme of things. It's not total truth. You know, what's happening right now in our society as we see the insanity break out is no different than what happens every day. It's no different than what has happened for decades. It's no different than what had happened in other millennia. It, it, it's always happened. It's always happening on small scales, and now we just see it on a larger scale, and it's being magnified by media. That's all it is. But the rage that we see in the society right now, the rage that we see in Seattle, the rage that we see in the riots, the rage that we see in the destruction, the, the, the stupidity of some of the things being said, and the nonsense that's coming with it, they've been there for a long time festering. They're just smaller and not brought to your attention. And sadly, that was when Christians should have spoke out about it and held things in the place it, it, it needed to be held in. But we didn't. But Christians didn't. And because they didn't hold their ground, they cannot advance where they're at now. We can't advance for more ground. And so, if you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're told about people who do not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And so, ultimately, truth has its goal in salvation. But there is another uh, truth that comes along with that. And that is that if you do not want to believe a truth, 2 Thessalonians 2.11 says, For this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that 
they all might be damned, condemned, destroyed, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I just want to know where the Christian response is from 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, and 12 on these issues that we're seeing arise, just on the basis of those who will not receive the truth. And, and so let me simplify here what I'm talking about. A man is a man because he's a man. These are all truisms. And at some point, people allowed for men to not be called men and let things get crazy. That's what it is, crazy, insanity. It's, 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 it's insane. I recall the defin, definition of insanity uh, being described as something as to be out of touch with reality, to be out of touch with reality. And if that's not important any longer, if, if, if there's no definition of reality, then there is no definition for insanity. And there is no definition for sanity. Reality is an appeal to truth. That's what it is. What is real? I knocked on this table. I know it's hard. I know it's there. It, it, it's, a, it's a combination of the senses that come together to produce what is real. And so thus it is what is reality. It, it, it is maddening for sane men to have to live in an insane world and watch people go insane but it's more maddening it's 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 actually destructive to men to have to watch and be subjected to agree to the insanities of the world to agree that what is not real is real to agree that things that are obviously destructive are not destructive it's not only destructive in the sense that it actually destroys things, but it is destructive in the sense that it destroys a barrier in your mind that is able to comprehend reality. Far worse than anything you will ever get from watching television, far worse from anything you will ever get from being lied to, though you know you've been lied to, is one who will insist upon something that is true, though it is obviously not true, you know it's not true, it is not a reality. It can't be a reality. It's, it just isn't. But you will be forced to say it is. The reason for it is because you enter into lies and falsehood, and once you enter into lies and falsehood and you capitulate to that form of insanity, you become insane yourself or just ultimately dishonest, which, again, is still a fundamental denial of reality. It's a denial of truth. Christians involved in denials of truth are not utilizing the spirit that has been given to them to guide them into all truth and to glorify Christ. Falsehood cannot glorify Christ. And so if you want to believe a lie, you will be all the more deceived into the lie. And those lies don't have to even be things um, that are just what something means in the scripture. I mean, ultimately, that's important. But this could just be, what is it before your eyes? I mean, how many people realize that if you have, let's say, a wife that cooks something, and it's just not good, it's just bad, all right? It's just bad. It doesn't taste good. And uh, 
you know, you don't want to make her feel bad. So you, you say, dear, that is delicious. And you choke it down with a smile. You're getting that food again next time she feels good because she knows you liked it. Okay? Uh, that should be, you know, the kind of thing that we're thinking about when we're, we're telling the populace right now that what they're doing is good. And we're not going to stop you. We're going to let you go. And we're going to stay silent on this matter for this reason and that reason. And you can destroy everything because, you know, you need to do that. That's a good emotional response to release is blah, 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 whatever it is. They're going to keep doing it. There is nothing you will say lovingly that's going to cause them to stop because they think everyone agrees, or at least those who need to agree agrees. Silence is consent. Silence is consent. Numbers chapter 30 is chief in teaching that lesson. Okay? When a man who's the head of his household stays silent and a woman or a daughter speaks and says she will do a thing or fulfill a vow or make a vow and he stays silent, it stands. He is the one who has the power to refuse and he is the one who has the power to stop the thing. And so when a person hears something that's wrong or not true or just shouldn't happen, it needs to be opposed. It needs to be opposed and called what it is, false. And it doesn't matter if somebody says that that is mean, racist, uh, misogynistic, uh, pick one of the new words that or old words that everyone's using right now to describe being normal, and just realize that you're hedged in and you can't say false is false. You can't say a lie is a lie. And so what are you being asked to do ultimately? What's being asked to be done ultimately in the denial of truth? Denial of the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate end goal of anyone who wants you to believe with all deceivableness. Okay? When they want, want you to be deceived with unrighteousness so that you can perish with them. All because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, they also don't want you to be saved. They are blasphemers of the Holy Spirit because they know they blaspheme truth and they don't care. And a Christian, quote-unquote, that blasphemes truth isn't a Christian. He's a liar. Liars are of the devil. Okay? And we all know that we have falsehoods in our life. We all know that there are lies that come forth from us. We all know that we have that. But do you recognize it or do you do you um, dwell upon it? Does it become part of who we are? Does it become part of our society and our worldview? Do we, though we don't understand it, though it has no understanding or understandableness to understand it, are we willing to agree to it just to get along or just to make friends? Christians should rally around what's true and what's true out of the Word of God. But they also need to rally about what is, in fact, what is before us in order to agree about what really is. And if we can't agree with what really is, then we're liars. We're crazy. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That's faith in a lie that they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but they have pleasure 
in unrighteousness. The pleasure in unrighteousness exists in having pleasure in falsehood, in believing the lie. And you enjoy believing the lie because it helps you get along. But we, Christians, are supposed to be bound to give thanks always to God. For you, brother and beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. That's that Spirit of truth and belief of the truth. Whereunto he's called you by our gospel, our good news, to the obtaining and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice the theme right out of John 16? Believing the truth, the spirit, to the glory of Jesus Christ. He shall glorify me. We need to stand fast. We need to hold not only the traditions which we've been taught, if it's by a word or by an epistle. But we need to recognize truth for what it is. And we need to expose falsehood for what it is. We need to be established by truth. Truth is what establishes us unto every good word and work, not the appeals of men. Not the appeals of men. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Something more to say about this. Verse 43. It says, For a good tree brings not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his fruit. For thorns men do not gather figs, or a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. You know, we, we spiritualize and, 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 and understand this proverb in all different ways. It definitely applies to salvation, the good fruit of salvation. But all of that fruit of salvation is tied to one and the same fruit of the Spirit. And so there's another scripture that applies to this from Ephesians 5. We all pretty much, uh, if you're a Christian for any length of time, have heard this or seen it on a picture frame in the, in the house somewhere on a, you know the wall. But it tells us, number one, to... Let no man deceive us in Ephesians 5, 6. That's a type of lying. Um, Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore ye partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we're dealing with people who have the gift of salvation, the good fruit of salvation. And then in 5, 9 he says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather approve them. For it's a shame evil to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever does make manifest is light. And we'll deal with more of that later here in the uh, in the program but um 
Did you notice that the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth from the very beginning? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those three things are all connected and inseparable, I think you could say. I don't believe it can be separated, that, that goodness can be separated from righteousness, righteousness can be separated from truth, truth can be separated from goodness, um, truth can be separated from righteousness, righteousness can be separated from goodness and truth. It's just all one and the same thing. That which is right is that which is true. That which is true is that which is good. That which is good is that which is right. That which is right is that which is true. It's just, it goes on and on. And it just, it's a triune uh, symbiosis. And so if this is the fruit of the Spirit that is to be coming forth of a Christian, because they have been awakened, because they have come out of darkness and into light, and we are to be proving that is showing what is good, right, and true under the Lord and to have no fellowship with the opposite of those things to what is unfruitful. So if the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, righteousness, and truth, then the unfruitful works of darkness is evil, unrighteousness, or wickedness, and lies. Oh, but we all know that, right? We all know that. Do we? Do we? Can we admit that there are some things that we as Christians are denying fundamentally that we see with our eyes that are is affecting the way that we witness and the way Christ is glorified by our testimony because the wicked tell distruths and they're okay with that because they're wicked. There's a triunity of um unfruitfulness that takes place in them. In other words, as I described goodness, righteousness, and truth having a triune nature, what is good is right, what is right is true, what is true is good, and so on and so forth, you can say the same thing about the opposite, the unfruitful. That which is evil is wicked, and that which is wicked is a lie. Now, someone may do something wickedly in truth, but it's because there's truth that you can identify wickedness. So, what's evil is not right, and what's not right is not true. What's not true is evil. It's another triune symbiosis of unfruitfulness that takes place. And so as Christians, we need to be on guard. We need to have no fellowship, no communion with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather, what should we be doing? Reproving them. So, if we are to deal in the opposite of what the fruit of the Spirit is in goodness, righteousness, and truth, and we are to be proving what's acceptable unto the Lord, and then as we and after we have proved what is acceptable unto the Lord, that is, what is good, what is right, what is true, then we are to know, not fellowship with such things. And then because we have recognized it as being evil, wicked, and false, we are rather to reprove it. It's something we are to then reprove. We are to reprove falsehood, reprove wickedness and um, unrighteousness, and to reprove evil. Reprove it. Prove it's wrong. Prove what's acceptable. Prove also what's not acceptable. All of it bases on truth, which elevates truth and goodness, ultimately 
as what is righteous and that wickedness can never be so. This is a war, folks. It's a war for your mind. It's a war for the mind of your children. It's a war for your minds, war for my mind. It's a war not of emotions, but a war thought. Because emotion, if it drives you, if emotion allows you to define truth, you're already a liar. This is a war against truth. This is a war against righteousness. This is a war against goodness. I don't even have to name the things that I'm talking about. I haven't named them yet. I haven't named all of what's going on. You just know because it's true. You know because it's true. Though I have not talked about which current events I'm referring to, you're all sitting there thinking about what is false, what is evil, what is wicked, and what is unrighteous in this society right now and what's going on, and know whether I'm right or wrong. So, you know, what is it that I'm talking about now that we've got into it? What, what's some of the stuff that's going on? Well, we have a lot of discussion going on on race right now. A lot of discussion going on on race. Um, I'm kind of disheartened at the Christian response for it as a whole. Not everyone's this bad, but there's been some lies that are in the camp, uh, the Christian camp, that are obviously wrong. Their science falsely so-called. And I'm seeing that being propagated more and more in order to think, I don't know if they think it's going to diffuse the situation or what, uh, but it's not. It won't diffuse the situation because it's a lie. It's false. And one of the situations I'm talking about is the way Christians of the 21st century look at the subject of what a race is or what races are. And even as far as to deny the biblical standing of what a nation or an ethnicity is and pretend as if it's not there. Pretend there are not kindred distinctions between people, uh, according to Scripture, which you can't read through the book of Genesis and not notice such such distinctions. And so what damage do you think is happening when you take some of the genetic arguments that people use? I hear really intelligent men using genetic arguments that they think they understand. I don't think they do. Only geneticists would understand it because um, we're, we're always talking about, you know, genotypes and their, how they're numbered and lettered. Uh, we're not even dealing with um, something we can understand in any, uh, <laughs> any real way. Uh, so we have to abstractly understand them through letters in our alphabet and numbers in our numeric system in order to talk about them because there's no other way for us to talk about it. So we base our arguments on something that a guy with a really good microscope looking at, uh, you know, DNA, uh, makeup, and all kinds of stuff like that says he sees and tells us about, and we make arguments based upon it. People are now making arguments just like Christians are about race and how there are no races and uh, using that argument. And now people are, you know, the, the, the non-Christians are using it to talk about um, gender. That there's no gender and they are going to try to now genetically prove that, I guess. This is, a, you know, that there's 40-some or 30-some or who knows. I don't, I've lost count of the nonsense. But uh, there's, there's so many uh, genders now. And that uh, it's going to be, you know, there has to be a proof for it. We're going to have to prove it. So where, where are they going to go? Science. 
You're going to go to something they call science. It's science falsely so-called, but it is uh, genetics. They're going to try to use. They're going to try to use some scientific way to explain it. And if you're too dumb to know what they're talking about or able to test or prove the theory and then speak as loud or louder than them, guess what? Entering into that discussion on evidence that you can't understand or prove, you will lose. And you'll be shown to lose. And so what's the better argument? There are men and there are women. Why? Because that's what's true. That's what's right. That's what we know. I've got cattle. I've got sheep. I've got animals. I farm. Male animals breed with female animals. They make babies. They do. That's what they do. Um, I've never seen yet a cow. I've never seen a bull and a heifer have an argument about gender yet. I have not um, seen these types of things, these social constructs, uh, take place yet on the farm. I'm sure there's some whack job out there who is completely insane that would love to point us in that direction. And give them the right to choose such things uh, based on some other method of thinking that they uh, believe is scientific um, or whatever they decide it is. And so because of that, you, you could maybe eventually have cow rights too uh, for, for such things. But so back to the subject of what the Christian's problem is in this situation. On the issue of gender, there's just truth. And to enter into a conversation with somebody and start um, dabbling in the idea that maybe uh, somebody is actually a way that they describe to you um, in, in not being a man, though they be a man, or being a woman, and uh, though they uh, say they aren't a woman, uh, or saying they're one of these other uh, false mixes of gender. Uh, Christians shouldn't even play into this, this mentality. If you don't want to stand for what is true, in this situation, you don't think you're strong enough to stand for what is right in this situation and reprove the deeds of darkness? Just don't talk, talk to the person. Don't even engage in it. Don't even put yourself in a situation where you would have to defend the Christian worldview when you can't. Or when you would have to defend truth if you're just not strong enough to defend truth in that situation because your emotions are overpowering you. But certainly don't don't... Put fuel on the fire that is burning right now of, of falsehood by starting to half-heartedly talk about that which is false with it. Well, maybe you do feel that way. Maybe you do feel that way. You know, maybe, maybe, well, maybe that is how you're made. You just need to repent. If you're a man, you're a man. If you're a woman, you're a woman. You need to repent. And so there's another issue that's very similar to this. It's a denial of truth. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 22. It says, You shall have one manner of law, as well as for the stranger, so for one of your own country, for I am the Lord your God. This is by no means the only place in the scriptures where we see things like this. We actually see this in multiple different places, multiple different laws. Uh, Leviticus chapter 15, 15 through 16 says, What an ordinance shall be for you of the congregation, also for the stranger that sojourns with you, an ordinance for forever in your generations. As ye are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger that sojourns with you. You could read about it 
over and over again in Scripture as it pertains to matters of justice. And so justice is blind in this matter. There's no doubt about it. If you read the context of what uh, Leviticus chapter 24 was speaking of, it says, If a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He has caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. And he that kills a beast, he shall restore it. And he that kills a man, he shall be put to death. You shall have one manner of law. And so it's very uh, plain that this is in matters of justice, that this is so. And so when we start discussing subjects of one who's a stranger from one's own country, or as it says it in um, other translations of the scripture, as we read it in Numbers chapter 15, that there, uh, one of the congregation and also one of the stranger that sojourns with you, and if we were to read it in other places in the scripture, um, we even read about the homeborn or the native born um, and the stranger that's among you. And so we have to recognize a, dis a distinction there in the Bible. And right now in the discussions that we're having um, concerning race in the Christian camp, it's almost as if we have become allergic to calling a stranger, a stranger, and a homeborn, a homeborn, or one of you, of your own country, one of your own nation, one who's born in the land, who's of the seed of the people of the land. You know, we can't talk about ethnicity, we can't talk about nationality, we can't talk about anything that differentiates us because we say, well, we're Christians. But there is a lot of Bible law that tells how a stranger is to be treated in the Bible in matters of justice. But there's also biblical law that tells us that strangers in other situations aren't treated in the same way as the ones who are brethren or homeborn, ones that are of the same country, of the same nation. And so on that note, consider what the Scripture says concerning the eating of animals that die of themselves. Deuteronomy 14:21 it says, "Ye shall not eat of anything that dies of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates. He may eat it, or you may sell it unto an alien. For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God." And so, what's the differentiation here between the stranger and the alien and the holy people? that are being commanded not to eat of something that dies of itself. There's obviously a permission that is being given to Israel that says there are two different standards when it comes to dealing with strangers on this level of understanding, on this level of dealing with what can be eaten and what cannot be eaten. And so it's pretty significant that when we deal in laws of justice, Justice is absolutely blind, but there are certain things that the stranger and the alien do not do, and the holy people do, and that is a distinction between them. And because of that distinction, um, there is a difference made between the stranger, the alien, and the one which is homeborn, the one which is of the holy people um, that is being spoken of here, of the brethren. And so 
we recognize that there are differences in Scripture. And so one of the things that the church is so engaged in right now that is false is the denial of different people, the denial of racial types, and playing again in the genetic game, in the genetic garden of uh, saying, well, you know, it's just a phenome. Uh, that makes you have more melanin, and that's what makes the difference between a black guy and a white guy. Uh, I don't know if people are being serious with themselves when they say that, but we all know that George Floyd and the officer that is being charged with his um, murder or, or manslaughter, depending on how that goes, don't look the same. We know they're not brothers. We know they're from different origins and backgrounds. We know that. That's the reason why there is a racial strife and Christians are not doing any good by saying there is no difference between these two people. It's not true. It's false. It's false. You know, we notice the difference between Mike Tyson, the former boxer, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, the former actor from um, Germany or, or Austria, I think is actually where he's from. But um, there's a difference. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that difference, and there is nothing wrong with applying biblical law to places where differences are as to maintain justice. If you pretend as if there's no difference between the home-born seed, which is what you'll find in the language of the Scripture when looking into the meaning of these words, when you're looking at the seed that is home-born, in the case of dealing with the, the Israelites, we're dealing with the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob physically, tribal uh, relatives of a kindred family of Abraham, and talking about those who come in from the outside into their land and the way in which they need to be treated, there needs to be a recognition of difference and not a pretend that they are not different. They are different. They are strange. Strange implies strange. Stranger implies strange. Different is what it means. And so for a Christian to engage in the falsehood of some of the genetic speculations that are talked about that nobody, again, could prove based on uh, what they can see, but rather they're going to have to use numbers and letters that come from our uh, abstract understandings. We use uh, you know, numbers and we use letters and then we apply that to something that we think we understand and then we talk about it in a genetic code as to try to be more, I don't know, loving or something. I'm not exactly sure what it is because it seems to me like it's just, it's just a lie. To say that genetics teaches us that there's no difference, though the difference is before our eyes, and we can see it. And so I don't disagree with people who are angry because you won't say that a black man's a black man, nor do I disagree with a white man saying white man's a white man, or Asian man is an Asian man, because we have created those words in order to categorize people accurately. The point is is that once we engage in a falsehood in, in, in our worldview, once we engage in, in um, justifying by any means possible the, the outcome we want in this situation for it to just go away, once we engage in that falsehood, 
we're bound to the falsehood to continue in it. And so a time of repentance has to come about where we say, no, there are differences. We recognize there are differences. And we're going to stop saying dumb things that offend people like they aren't strange to the way we look. But rather that the Bible clearly does speak of one who is homeborn and one who is a stranger. And there are differences. And so it is only in this American experiment that we have where the melting pot has taken place where we have had these problems like this up until more recently when people of other continents have come to Europe. But when you spoke of a German, you knew what you were talking about. When you spoke of an Irishman, you knew what you were talking about. When you spoke of a Scot, you knew what a Scot was. When you spoke of an Englishman, you knew what an Englishman was, and so on and so forth. If I said, uh, Bob is from Nigeria, you could think, well, Bob's a European name for Robert, the nickname for Robert. Robert's generally... A European name, so maybe you could think that Bob from Nigeria, you know, is an Englishman who had settled in Nigeria during the times of colonization or something like that. Or you could say to yourself, Bob from Nigeria is a Nigerian, and therefore he is a black man. And so does it matter? Yeah, it matters, because there is a stranger in Nigeria named Bob if he's a white man. On the other hand, if he's a Nigerian named Bob, he's not a stranger. He's homeborn. There's nothing wrong with admitting to this. It's true. It's what is. And I don't believe that there's anything wrong with admitting to what is. We don't need to appeal to the genetic code that separates Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mike Tyson. We just know that they are not the same. And we admit to it. And we keep moving. And we apply truth as it comes. And so regardless of what our opinions are on where the origins of all mankind come from and how they have been separated, regardless of what those differences of opinions are or where, they, where we, we put that place, the inability to talk about what the scripture says truly and the inability to apply that truth to the society we live in to say that justice should be blind regardless, this is not a racial issue, is the problem. And so it takes us right back to the uh, need for a theonomy, a need for the law of God to operate. Even if you reckoned America as a European or a white Christian nation from its origins with um, you know, a, a covenantal constitutional law, as most people would have thought of it, you know, a hundred years ago, there is still justice that would prevail in judgment, and there would be people punished if they did not treat people justly. And justice would go forward. But on the other hand, there is no law in the law of God that says that in all cases outside of justice, you have to agree that those that are not the same are the same, or you have to bow down then and do the opposite, wherein you still acknowledge that the white man is a white man and the black man is a black man, and that if you buff his shoes, or if you bow down to him, or if you uh, tell him you're sorry for what your ancestors five generations ago had done, that that will then make things okay, or okay for the time being. This is nonsense. And so rather we should be standing on scripture 
saying there are distinctions, there are differences. There is a reason for being an alien to a nation or a stranger to a people, and there is also a place for justice in that situation by the law of God. By the law of God. Not by our external perspective. And so the question comes to is, why are we engaged in lying about this? Is it because we don't want to face the reality that Europeans had black slaves in the United States and in other places? That's the truth. We know it's true. Now, what's the Christian response to it? That's the next question. And I think that one of the subconscious reasons why Christians, uh, even of a theonomic perspective, are avoiding this issue like a plague is because they know what the biblical law in the matter is regarding strangers and ones of a nation. And that answer would come from Leviticus chapter 25, not too far away from what we just read. Matter of fact, the very next chapter about what we read concerning the, the treatment in regards of justice to a stranger and one born in your own country. If we go to Leviticus chapter 25, and we go and we start at verse 42, says regarding brethren of the children of Israel, that they are my servants which I brought forth of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. Both your bondmen and your bondmaids, which thou shalt have, shall be of the heathen, the other nations, that are round about you. Of them shall you buy bondmen and bondmaids. Moreover, the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy. And of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possession. And you shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule one over another with rigor. And then it goes on to list out, if a sojourner or a stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwell by him wax poor and sell himself to a stranger sojourner by thee, or to the stock of the stranger's family, once he is sold, he is able to be redeemed again. And so I'm just going to stop there at verse 48 and reading. But it goes on to tell us that his near kin, his uncle, and all these people, you know, anyone who is part of that nation can redeem him on a family level. Anyone who is his relative is able to redeem him. But at the year of the Jubilee, that's 50-year period, uh, at the year of the Jubilee, he will go free back to his own land, back to where he is from. And that is how that issue is to be dealt, dealt with. And so when we look back in the categories that we are dealing with from a racial perspective, looking at whites as brother and blacks as brother and so on and so forth, it seems to spell out fairly clear in Scripture, that if you're going to govern yourself as if you are the people of Israel in a country, you cannot condemn slavery of an other people. It, it's just not going to work. And you have to prefer one of your own nation um, to redemption so that they can be redeemed at any time, whereas that, that law is not the same for the stranger. And so I think the problem is, is looking at that verse and being honest with it. Let's just look at it and be honest with the 
the subject matter and see it for what it says and then judge our ancestors uh, or other people's ancestors that held slaves of a different people and judge them according to the law of God. Did they treat their Scotch-Irish um, brethren who are of the same race as themselves, if that's the category we're using? Uh, did they hold them um, rigorously and not let them go? Well, I think that's the problem that we're, we're running into here is that our ancestors in America um, and those who inhabited America saw a distinction in, the, in these ways. And there's more than enough historical records to prove that. And so to deny it and to say there's no such thing as a race then asks and begs the question, then why is it that the founders or your ancestors or my ancestors or whoever may have owned slaves just because your skin is white, um, why is it that they held on to someone who was their brother because all men are brothers. There's this great brotherhood of man. And uh, why is it then that they ruled over them with rigor? You should be punished for what your parents did, which, again, is another unbiblical way to look at the law, that children are not punished for the sins of the fathers anyhow. It's another unbiblical standard that we see in our society. As the book of Deuteronomy says very clearly, it says that the fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And so we understand that punishments uh, that are severe and the punishment for um, kidnapping a brother, one of one's own brother, according to yet a, another biblical law, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, just prior, verse 7, if a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, makes merchandise of him, or selleth him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. And so, in the context of just that chapter, um, which you could go on to also read the same law out of Exodus chapter 21, 16, and Exodus 20, um, yeah, 21, 16, you can um, very much see that it's a death penalty offense for one to steal his own brother and sell him um, into uh, slavery. Whereas, on the other hand, uh, you know, make merchandise of him. Whereas, on the other hand, this is not said concerning one who's not of, of your brethren. And so... You know, if we're just going to be honest with the biblical text on the matter and we want to talk about this subject, we have to talk about it honestly. It's all in point now. It's all in point now. You know, how are you going to stand up honestly and proclaim a theonomic perspective when you can't look at this in the face for what it is and how it was viewed by um, the people of Europe prior to this, the people of Christendom? Um, in looking at these laws in an ethnic way, in a racial way, in a brotherhood way that recognize brotherhoods between uh, races differently, rather than denying it, even if you think your modern perspective of the matter is better than the one of the past, you have to at least acknowledge that there is a law that speaks to this and there was a way it was understood as opposed to just avoiding it like the plague of leprosy. Rather, you should observe diligently to do according to what the law of God says and teaches us, and that most particularly to observe truth.
on the matter. And so I really do think that this is one of those situations where I know nobody wants to hear it. Um, I know people don't want to even talk about it. It's anathema to even breathe it. It's, a, it's like an allergic reaction, as I said, to even discuss these matters. And the fear is just um, running rampant right now that um, how dare us even speak of these subjects. But the truth is, is without looking at the situation for what it is and stopping this um, foolishness and fear that is in the, the church right now, um, we just, you know, we need to just deal with this from the way that it is and actually be honest about it. Stop being afraid that we're going to be judged for our ideas, our opinions, our theologies on the subject. Just be bold about the truth of the matter. And if you don't know the truth on the matter, you don't understand the truth of the matter, keep your mouth quiet on it or in your fingers from typing about it. Um, what it is that we think, I mean, this is one of them subjects that we, we cannot be in contempt of because it will come back and it will bite us. Right now, there's a war going on, and that war is for the hearts and minds of our children. That war is for the hearts and minds of us. That war is for the hearts and minds of the population that is out there. And that war is being waged by the devil, who is the father of lies. And as the father of lies, his children that are here are um, doing his bidding. Um, those who are of their father, the devil, are doing the bidding of their father. They're lying. They're not telling the truth about all kinds of things. And these are just some of them. And we do not need to be the, uh, the servant of sin in this matter. But rather, we should be the children of God. We should be the children of light. We should expose the things that are false and stand on that which is true rather than just avoiding it. Um, you know, so many people do not want to discuss theonomy, do not want to discuss Reconstruction because of this type of discussion we're having right now. And that's the parts, there are disunities uh, that take place on this subject matter because of these issues. But the question is, can we stay quiet on them when the world explodes like this? Especially in light of the fact that the Bible does speak in terms of nationhood. The Bible does speak in terms of um, brotherhood and kinhood and, and all of these things, um, family connection. Uh, and can we deny that that is actually part of um, a natural response that we will see throughout history and we are going to see throughout the future? That uh, birds of a feather flock together, so to speak, and that if I, you, know, you were a black man and your ancestors had been enslaved, and you are upset about that for whatever reason, whether it's a good reason or a bad reason, it doesn't matter, um, that you would feel the judgment of that situation in some way. Isn't it rather worse to deny the truth that's before our eyes? Isn't it more damaging to the truth that we say we are representing whenever uh, we will not acknowledge that which is before us and which we can see and attest to and, and know? I mean... Regardless of the overarching understanding that we may hold on how the races came to be and where that is, the point is, is what is now. It's not about how it was. It's about how it is now and how people perceive what it is now and how it is felt now. And that is where our focus has to lie on understanding that truth as it is. And so... 
some people may just think, you know, that this is a rant or this is just something that's not really pertinent right now, but it's very pertinent. It's very pertinent right now. I mean, if we're going to be the harbingers of truth, if we are going to bring that into a society and hold up the light of Christ uh, regardless of our, our thoughts on certain things and just say, you know, truth is truth and, and the Bible possesses the truth that we need. And, yeah, that's up for interpretation as far as how we understand the Bible. But there is one true objective meaning to the word of God as we understand it and apply it. And our understanding and our application cannot be formed based on our emotions and our opinions. It has to be formed on the truth of God's law. It has to be formed on the truth of what is before our eyes, what we can see, what we understand as best as we can understand it as a reality, as a truth, as that which is right, as that which is good. And we cannot allow one thing to trump the other. Rather, they have to be a symbiosis. That which is true is that which is good. That which is good is that which is right. And if that which is right is that which is true and good, then we should be just fine with whatever answer the Scripture gives us and what we have before us to understand and to comprehend. And so, I don't know, maybe this subject is just a little too touchy, and I know nobody wants to hear it, and I know people don't want to continue uh, discussing it. It uh, can be misunderstood and misconstrued in so many ways, but the truth is, is to just go down the bandwagon of um, emotional response. I feel bad. I just want to be part of something. And so because I feel bad and I know people um, have been hurt in the past and people who are descendants of slaves feel bad about that. And, and people who are the, um, uh, you know, of a different race that were a race of enslaved people in a certain country, uh, they feel bad about it. And I want to feel bad with them and mourn with those who mourn and all this kind of stuff. But before all of that, truth should be the concern of the matter. Truth needs to be the concern of the matter. And that's what I'm pushing for. That's what I'm trying to um, advocate here is just what's the truth of the matter? And is it worth dwelling on at this point from the perspectives that have been skewed in how we are going to deal with the issue? I just think that's what needs to be talked about. So with that said, this is Joshua Somerville Lowther with Sola Scriptura. Signing off, we'll see you again in another two weeks, Lord willing. Can we not see past ourselves? No one wants to know truth any. I close my eyes and hope it all will change, but it won't. Give me understanding, help me see. Me know.
Help me not to waver from your truth. Give me understanding. 